Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, we just wrapped up a series in Second Peter. Tim's been there for how many? It's, at least it's been, it's been months. But anyway, it's been awesome. Uh, and talking about the last days, talking about uh, the wickedness that's in our land, false teaching that Paul talked about, how or Peter talked about uh, that we'd see happening as we see the last days approaching. Uh, we see, and we're seeing that played out every day in our lives. Uh, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. He said that there was going to be a beginning of sorrows in the last days. Not about you, but looking around right now, it seems like we're right there in the beginning of sorrows. Uh, It says that there would be nations that would rise against nation. There would be famines in the land, that there would be hatred, that men's hearts would be failing them from fear. Uh, All of these things that it would be Days of great distress. And I think after this last series, we could all agree that uh, we believe we're living in those very last days that Jesus talked about it. We see it all around us every day. People are increasingly worried and overwhelmed, distressed by life. I was talking just to someone last night as they're preparing for a vacation to go to Hawaii. And all of the steps that they have to go through in order to get on a plane... And once they get there and everything else, and she says, I am so stressed out. I, I don't even know if I want to go. She says, I'm actually having a panic attack, been having panic attacks about just getting ready to go. So much fear. Can't even enjoy a vacation because there's so, so much fear that's going on. Overwhelmed. Uh, young people today are having to face things that, uh, at least in our generation, I don't know that we've ever had to face. It's something new uh, that... Um, the pandemic has created. Um, we've never seen it. Uh, hopes and dreams that they had had to be put on hold and now hopefully getting started again. Many of you, your hopes and dreams and plans got put on hold and hopefully started. Many of them were upset and never could quite be the same once again. Um, there's a portion of Scripture that I want to talk about this morning that I believe ties into what we're seeing today. And it's found in Luke chapter 22. And the title of my message this morning is, Are You Sleeping? Hopefully not yet. Nudge somebody right now and say, hey, wake up. (laughs) But are you sleeping? And there's a story in in Luke. And Luke recalls how that um, the disciples had just met with Jesus they celebrated Passover. Jesus told them that he was going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He was going to pray all the, all the things that were ahead of him. He talked to them about things during that Passover meal that they just couldn't grasp. They couldn't understand. He talked about a new covenant in his blood. Can you imagine? What do you mean, Jesus? You're going to die? So they had to deal with that. Um, talking about... Uh, how they would rule and reign in his kingdom, but yet, Jesus, you're, you're going to die. How are we going to rule and reign if you're going to die and you're going to the cross? You're talking about b- your blood and, 
and all of these things that are going on, so these perplexing things are going on. And he told them that they were going to actually weep and they would mourn. But he also gave them a promise and said, you're going to weep and mourn for a season, but then your grieving and your weeping and mourning is going to turn into joy. And you think that all of a sudden a light would go on and they'd say, oh, okay, that's awesome. But they didn't quite get it. And so at that point after the uh, celebrating the Passover, the Institute of the Lord's Supper told them to do this in remembrance of him. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives and Olives. And the scripture says this in Luke 22. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching this play on the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. So he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. It says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like the drops of blood falling to the ground. Then he rose from prayer, and he went back to the disciples, and he found them asleep. And this is what really just caught my attention. I never really saw this before. It says, He found them asleep, exhausted from their sorrow. Exhausted from their sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you'll not fall in the temptation. I mean, every time I've read this portion of Scripture, I always thought about the disciples. Well, they just, you know, they were so tired. They just fell asleep. They had a lack of willpower. Their drowsiness overtook them. Man, how in the world, after all this, Jesus had just explained to them what's going to happen, and now they can't even stay awake and pray for a little while. They fell asleep. Man, they didn't have much faith. They didn't have much willpower. And I never saw and thought about the fact that it says that they were exhausted, but they were exhausted from sorrow. Exhausted from sorrow. Have you ever felt like that in your life? It's like you were so overwhelmed, and not only were you tired, not only were you stressed out, but you were just exhausted from the sorrow, the grief, things that are happening in your life. It's just like you want to you go to bed and crawl up in a fetal position and just stay there as long as you can. Maybe when you wake up, it'll all be over. We thought maybe 2020 that was going to happen. We'd wake up and it'd all be over. Exhausted from sorrow. Something... Usually something traumatic happens, something uh, gut-wrenching happens, like 2020, something that we just can't really put even into words. And it says that Jesus came back to them and he found them sleeping for sorrow. In Mark, Mark says and recounts the same thing. He says, he returned to the disciples, found them sleeping, and Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't give in to the exhaustion of sorrow, the things that you may be seeing right now. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing, same thing. and when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And it says... They did not know what to say to him. 
says, why are you sleeping? And he says, they didn't even know what to say. Have you ever been that way where somebody asks you, what's wrong? And you can't even put it into words? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Can't even put it into words, and that's where they were. Can't even put it into words. The disciples couldn't process at this point what was going on. The promises that Jesus had promised them, all of a sudden they were full of grief. They were full of sorrow. This image of what and how they thought this whole journey for the last three years was going to turn out, it's not turning out that way. They saw demons cast out. I mean, they saw the dead raised. They saw three years of miracles and Jesus talking in parables that they couldn't quite grasp, but yet saw thousands of people fed all of these things. There was so much excitement in their lives. Had saw instant climate change, you know, all these things going on and all the plans that they thought were going to come to fruition. Peter thought to himself, hey, man, I'm, Jesus said, I'm, I'm a rock. I, but what I said is, he, he's gonna, I'm going to rule and reign in his kingdom. John actually laid next to Christ. It had John the Beloved had that close relationship. What's going to happen to me now? God, all of our plans, but you say you're going to die. There, there was this confusion that was going on, and they were exhausted from sorrow. The way things and the image that they thought the way things were going to work out wasn't working out that way. And I think as followers of Christ and even those that are not followers of Christ yet, oftentimes we have this image of the way we think things should work out. I'm going to get, get married. Once I get married, all of my problems are going to go away. How many found that to be true? <laughs> Everything's going to be great. But marriage isn't in a bed of roses. We think, well, I'm going to come to Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to have to be sick again. How many have found that to be true? No. I'm going to have financial prosperity. And then 2020 hit. <laughs> All these things that we think how things are going to work out. I'm going to come to church and everybody's going to be so nice and kind and love me. And that doesn't work out so well sometimes. So somehow we think that God is going to manifest his glory in the plans that we have when we see it all worked out and then something happens, something shakes, something just doesn't work out that way and we become exhausted from the sorrow. Everything that can be shaken, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that which cannot be shaken, his kingdom will be the only thing that remains. So we've seen this play out over and over in our lives that, and I hear it almost on a daily basis of questions that come to me and I know probably come to you, what's going to happen next? What's gonna God going to do in the midst of all that's going on within our world, within our government, within our schools, with our kids? I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my grandkids. What's going to happen if we've got to go down this path? What's going to happen if, if someone makes a choice to do this? And how am I going to deal with those things? And so there's this anxiety and this sorrow that is in so many hearts of, God, are you really in control? Do you really have things going in the midst of all of these things that 
are being shaken within our world? Is there hope in the midst of this? Our kids on campuses are being overrun. They, they had to wor- watch virtually for a year, and now they're back in school, and they can't even figure out how to deal with that. And, and it's a real blessing to at least know that there is hope. Amen? We don't know how it's all going to work out. We, uh, Kelly and I, have been blessed to have a wonderful, beautiful daughter-in-law. They gave us some beautiful grandbabies. And she's here this morning. And Carmen, Kevin talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago. Carmen Carl is now a counselor uh, within the school district in, um, in Liberty Ranch and Estralita and at Galt High. And I'm going to have Carmen come and share. Is Carmen somewhere? Oh, there she is. <laughs> come on, Carmen. Everybody welcome Carmen. <laughs> Carmen is having a real impact in the schools, and she's going to share a little bit what, what God's been doing in her life in the midst of all of this shaking going on. Thank you. Yes, I am the full-time counselor in Galt unified school district and I've been there for a few months now and this opportunity just presented itself to make a career change into the school district and it's just been incredible. Um, I work with 180 and they are um, now contracting with Galt so we are on campus full time and um, I just wanted to kind of take a few moments to share a couple of things that I've learned over the past few months working directly face to face with these students and walking with them uh, through the transition from distance learning to coming back on campus. Um, what I'm seeing is that they're worried and scared and panicked and confused and overwhelmed, quite frankly, and just exhausted. Exhausted of the unknowns, exhausted of hearing about you know, fear, fear being put in families and, and just the whole mask debate, just everything going on. They're just exhausted and confused and going anywhere they can to seek relief and guidance and support. and. Now they're coming back on campus where they're surrounded by people again and put in their social environment that they were taken away from for about a year and a half. Um, So can anybody, like Jeff said, just relate to being confused and overwhelmed and exhausted? Because I know I have over the past year and a half navigating this with children and um, they're having the same worries and emotions that adults are having, except they're not adults. Um, They are teenagers, and they are going through a whirlwind of things on their own um, that they don't necessarily have the developmental capabilities to process and work through yet, just because their brains aren't done developing. So they're being asked to work through these complex situations and emotions and thoughts without really having the appropriate resources available to them. So 180 is on campus with them and we're just there to offer some hope. And before before the school year started, I got my offices on each campus and I just took a minute and I just prayed over them. We really didn't know what to expect coming in back on campus. We knew that there would be anxiety and depression and worry, but we really didn't know the extent of it. We are kind of going in blind here Um, because it's our first time in the school district. So I really just took the time to pray over the offices and invited Jesus to come in and say, make this yours, like whatever it looks like. Use me as your hands and feet for these students, whatever that looks like. Use this team, use 180, whatever we have to throw at them, because 
Um, we just wanted to be light in this darkness that they have on campus and help guide them in any way possible. And um, in the short two months that we've been in, on campus, we have received a total of 115 referrals for individual services already. Um, I personally have conducted 89 evaluations, and inside my evaluations, I screen for depression, I screen for suicide, and I screen for anxiety. Those are my top three concerns because I just kind of figured we'd be seeing a lot of that this year. And with that, I currently have 18 students that I see weekly that are struggling with severe depression that have those constant thoughts of suicide one time or another throughout their week, throughout their day. And it's really an honor to be a part of that team to help them just get through their day and help them think critically about the choices that they're making. Um, I have another 23 students that are struggling with severe anxiety to the point where they're having frequent panic attacks where they don't know when it's going to get triggered. They're getting triggered in classrooms. They're getting triggered walking down the hallway, going on the quad, at lunch, at pep rallies, things that are supposed to be monumental for their high school you know, experience. Now they're being triggered and having fear and panic attacks. Um, I've responded to nine urgent requests on campus. And what I classify as an urgent request is a student who's currently having a panic attack, who seeks out my office for help in that moment, who has been brought in by an administrator or a teacher or a faculty member because their student's just not doing OK in class in that moment. And um, we have had two students that we've had to consider hospitalizing because it just got so bad. We had to get families involved. So we've worked with two of those already. And it's only been two months. So there is a lot going on on campus. Um, and on top of that, we have another 32 students who just want to come in and talk, who need a sounding board, someone to talk about the past year and a half, all the experiences and possible traumas that they've experienced going through this. Um, we have two groups that meet weekly on campuses for students to just learn skills to manage anxiety so they can get through their day. And I know Kevin has talked about launching Parent Project, which has been a huge success. The numbers are looking like we have a total of 37 parents between both the English and Spanish courses that have signed up because they want to learn the skills needed to help support their students through this. Um, this school was a place of comfort for them. It was a place of security where they could just get away for a little bit. And now coming back on campus, it's a place of fear for a lot of them. They're terrified. I have students who can't even get out of a car because they're so scared. And um, 180, just coming on campus, has been able to offer a little bit of hope where they can come in and see me. I have a walk-in open door policy. They can come in and see me if they're having you know, some struggles that day. So it has been a complete blessing to be part of this team where we can just go in and, and help, these, help these young adults work through these complex emotions and situations that they're just being thrown at. So um, yeah, I pray that we can continue to open doors for them and have really good conversations. And I'm just asking also from par for prayers from you guys, anything helps. Um, the power of prayer is incredible, and I know our teens definitely need it. Amen. We just reach out your hand towards Carmen right now. Father, we thank you, God, for... just for what you're doing through Carmen and through 180 Teen Center and that, Lord, that uh, you placed her there and got her heart uh, for those that are struggling that need you so desperately. So we pray you just continue to open doors that you would find favor and that, Lord, those students would be able to find you in the midst of their sorrow and their grief and their exhaustion. You're their hope, God. So we thank you for this presence on campus. Can continue to bless it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you, Carmen. Yes.
Uh, we could give example after example of situations where there's just so much going on in our world today. But there's also going back in the Scripture where we find that um, those that had hope and thought that they had their plans, um, they just didn't work out that way and how that it can be so devastating and, and our world can be turned upside down. Um, I think of in Genesis chapter 13 all the way back to when Abraham <clears throat> and Lot, his nephew, they were so prosperous. They had so many cattle. They had so much land, so many things that they decided that Abraham decided, you know, the land won't support the prosperity that we have, so we need to split up. And so you're going to take your family lot and you, you choose, I'll let you choose where you want to go and where you want to start your family and where you want to be. And so Lot looked over the land and he saw as he looked, uh, he saw a place of choice land. They split up and, and Lot looked over at the whole plain of Jordan. It says it looked like the Garden of Eden over there. And so Lot in Genesis 13 says this, Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So Lot took all of his prosperity, all of his wealth, all of his well-adjusted plans that he thought that was going to be blessed, thought he was going to have success. He decided, I'm going to go live in this place. It's beautiful. But it says he pitched his tent near Sodom. But it also says, now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot decided, yes, he wanted the prosperity, but he also wanted to be kind of be close to the things that were going on in this world. He wanted to be able to see the city lights and what was going on, but it says the city was wicked, and Lot got close to that. Would you agree with this statement? When we stop making choices in God's direction, all that's left is to make choices in the wrong direction. Even though Lot made that choice, Ultimately, this blessing that he thought was going to be his, that he thought that he would find fulfillment in, in the cattle and the land and his family and all of these things, but because he put his faith in more of the creation than in the creator, that when God said that he was going to shake Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened was is that Lot and his family were there also. Somehow, the plan that he had was changed all of a sudden. Lot didn't know that the, the things that was, he had put in his heart, put his heart towards the things of the world was going to be shaken. All of a sudden, he was going to be sorrow. And so what happened was is that God judged the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot ended up leaving the flocks, leaving all the prosperity, He's climbing up the mountain with his wife and his kids in tow, being told, don't look back, don't look back. And all of a sudden, his wife looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. So Lot escapes with just himself and his family in the midst of all of it. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the disillusionment when Lot thought everything was going so well? What about Abraham, or Abram as they called him, before he's got his name changed? Abraham says, gives Lot the choice of the, of the best of the land. So, you know, 
Could you think maybe he says, you know, uh, I gave my nephew everything. What about me, God? Lot's being blessed with families. Kids are growing, and Abraham doesn't have any kids. He thought that God was going to bless him. He'd be, have a family and all this. So God, he starts complaining to God over these things. Lot was down there having uh, all kinds of time. And then in Genesis chapter 13, 15, 1, after this, it says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he told Abraham, says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. And this is what he says, I am your shield and I am your very reward. Can you say amen to that? I'm your shield. I'm your very reward. The future, my friends here this morning, is not in the things of the world. We may have our plans that we've had, but all those things are going to be shaken. And we need to hear the word of the Lord this morning that says, listen, I am your shield. I am your reward. I am the only one that can fulfill that place inside of you. Paul told the Corinthians, the Corinthians were at the, in the midst of that Corinthian church in the midst of a, of a worldly, corrupt society. He told the Corinthians, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childish things, the childhood behind me. I put it away. I think that we've bought into this world's idea is, is that as long as we have things, as we have land, if we have prosperity, if everything's going great, if God's blessing is upon us, that our lives are going to be fulfilled. And what happens is when those things get shaken, then we find ourselves in this sleep of exhaustion, just like the disciples were. We're exhausted because our plans didn't work out that way. Paul is saying is, we've got to grow up. We've got to look higher than the things that are within this world and find our hope, our shield, our protection, our hope in Him. Amen? 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is seen, unseen, is eternal. It's not what we see in this world that brings joy. It's not what we see in this world that brings happiness. It's not what we see in this world that brings satisfaction or rest or peace in our lives. If we're relying upon the things of this world and what we can see, then we will end up sleeping through our lives in sorrow, exhausted from the fight just like the disciples were. After the crucifixion, those disciples that had such high hopes that were thinking that the kingdom was coming right then, that they were going to rule and reign, that Rome was going to be put down, that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for, the Messiah that was going to kick Caesar off of his throne. And all of a sudden, none of those things happened. Jesus had already died. The disciples were scattered. They were gone everywhere. They were disillusioned. They were disillusioned. They were grieving and sorrow. And there's a story in Luke 24, 30, 13 through 31. It says that there was two of them were going. And they were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So here's two disciples. They talked and discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? 
And it says, they stood still, their faces downcast. In other words, they just kind of sat there as they're talking, as they're walking. And you've ever seen somebody that's just, just so full of grief and despair and they're just kind of shuffling their feet and that's what these guys, seven-mile journey, they're just walking along talking about everything that's going on. Have you seen social media lately? So much on there. So what's going on? And people are just kind of shuffling with their heads down. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to go? What's going to happen? What's going to happen now? And this is what these guys were doing. Their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleophas asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? In other words, they asked Jesus, uh, where, where have you been? They didn't know who he was at that point. They're discussing everything that's going on. It's like, where have you been? And if I was Jesus, I would have said, Well, let's see. Uh, I just have defeated death, hell, and the grave. But that's another point. He'll get to that in a minute. And Jesus says, what things, he asked. And about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word, and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And then they said this, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one and he was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since, he took, since it took place. Addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back and told them that they had seen a vision of angels and that they said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Even though there was testimony, they didn't see him. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And his beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He started explaining the divine purpose. He started explaining to them that God has not lost control of this thing. He started explaining to them that he was working all things together for good, that his purpose was going to be fulfilled. He explained the scripture. Here's God's purpose. My purpose in coming is not just to restore a kingdom on this earth, but he says, I have come to redeem mankind. This is my purpose. And it, their thinking was so small. It says they approached the village to which they were going. You guys still with me? Jesus continued as if they were going further, and they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it says this, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It's another verse I never even saw. It says when he was at the table with them, he took bread. Can you imagine? Here's the disciples around, and he takes this bread. They don't even recognize him to this point, and all of a sudden he breaks the bread. He breaks the bread and gave it to them, and all of a sudden, then their eyes were open. They remembered 
He said, do this in remembrance of me. And as soon as he broke that bread, they said, oh yes, that's what he talked about. That his body was going to be broken. That he was going to die for us. All the, their eyes are open to, he, to who he really was. And it says they could see who he was. They recognized him. Until that, their eyes were closed. Until we realize and our eyes are open to even hardships in this life are part of God's divine purpose, then our faces are going to be downcast and we'll sleep in sorrow. Romans 8, 28, I love the verse. It says, and we know that all things, not some things, not most things, not a few things, it says all things are working together for the good of those that love him who have been called according to whose purpose? His purpose. The problem is, is that we get into wanting our purpose. God, this is what I want to do with my life. This is the direction I think it should go. And God says, no, are you aligning yourself with my purpose? The disciples thought that they were going to have their purpose fulfilled. Little did, little did they know that God was working his purpose in the midst of it all. It says that he disappeared from their sight and they asked, they asked each other, we were, not, were, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Were our hearts not burning inside of us? Jesus in Luke 24, he reappeared to them and he said this, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Then it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations. Begin at Jerusalem. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses of these things. I didn't come just to fulfill your dreams in this world and your prosperity plans. I didn't come just to make you a more successful businessman. I didn't come just to make you a more successful person within this world. I didn't come just to, for us to come each week and sit in church and absorb what's going on and then leave the place of saying, oh, you know what, the music was too loud and why is that preacher wearing a hat? He didn't come just so you could drive into the Walmart parking lot and say, oh, bless God, look at that. God opened up a parking spot for me. We've got to think higher. We've got to think deeper. Jesus is saying, I have come and you are to be my witnesses that I am here. My divine purpose in coming is that I'm going to die upon the cross. This journey that you're on, that you are going to be my witnesses and tell others that I died on the cross for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And that I've come to redeem the nations and you are part of my plan and my purpose. So lift up your eyes. Wake up to what the purpose of God is. Amen? Be blessed on the journey. We can be blessed on the journey with prosperity. Give Him thanks for it. We can be blessed as we go about and say, thank God for health. God, I give you praise that I'm healthy today. But that's not why He came, just to bless us on the way. 
He came. And his destination is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Those who would believe in him would have eternal life. Then he says this, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. He leaves them again. But this time something's different. Something's different. Something is different. They know why they are here now. And look at the difference. At the end of the verse it says, Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. All of a sudden, this exhaustion, this sorrow from exhaustion, this sleep of sorrow is turned in to joy. Jesus said, you'll weep for a season. You'll be sorry for a season. You'll grieve for a season. But it's going to turn to joy. Here is when the fulfillment of that promise has come. If you're here this morning, God's purpose for you is not to sleep in sorrow and exhaustion. He wants to get you out of that curled up position of fetal position of saying, I don't know if I can go on one more moment and turn that sorrow into joy. Amen? Rome was still in charge. Nothing had changed. It says they continued in the temple praising God. Rome was still there. The Pharisees were still there. Society is still there. Their, the society seemed to move on, but yet these disciples were there. How, how confusing it must have been for the Pharisees when they thought, you know what, we locked them down. We locked this Christianity stuff down. How confusing it must have been when he saw these disciples, they thought were going to scatter in the temple daily, lifting their hands, praising God. And then 120 day, days later, sitting in an upper room, and the power of God falls, and those that once were deny him, the very Peter that denied him around a fire before a bunch of ladies, he stands up and he preaches a sermon, and thousands get saved. What's the difference? The difference was they were full of the Holy Spirit, they were full of the joy of God in their lives. They were full of not looking at what they could see, but the unseen. And they put their faith and their trust in the shield and the rock and the foundation that cannot be shaken, an unshakable kingdom, and nothing was going to shake them again. Torture them, fillet them open, hang them on a cross. Nothing would stop their testimony. Everything was still the same. And it may still be the same today. It may still be the same tomorrow in our world right now. The government still may be going in the way that it's going. We don't know. Your world may be taking off in a direction you never had thought it was going to go in. But you can have an unshakable kingdom of joy and a peace that surpasses your very understanding if you'll put your faith and your trust and your confidence in him and him alone. Any other thing that we put our faith in is going to be shaken. And only that which cannot be shaken will remain, and that's his unshakable kingdom. He says, you'll be my witnesses in the midst of this chaos and sorrow. Oh God, may we trust you. God, may we be filled with your spirit.
God, may we be like Carmen that goes on the campus and prays every day. God, use me for your glory. May our hearts be filled and overflowing with such joy and such peace and such rest that people will look at us and say, oh my gosh, there must be something different about these people. God, may we stop the complaining. May we stop the bitterness. May we stop the hatred. May we stop the judging of one another, of whether you're wearing a mask or you're not, whether you're vaxxed or you're unvaxxed. Can it just stop? And can we pray for one another, uphold one another, and say we are God's children, we're God's kingdom, and we're here on this destiny, on this journey to ultimately bring glory and honor to our King. If you're here this morning and you feel like those disciples, that you're just exhausted. You're just exhausted by it all. There's hope this morning. He can bring you joy and peace. Maybe you've pitched your tent close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're putting your hope and your trust in what's going on in this world. It's going to burn. Flee. Get out and run to him. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we leave this place today, we don't do this very often, but I was debating. I just feel that there are those here this morning, you're just overwhelmed. And I want to give an opportunity for you to come and spend some time in prayer before you leave, before you get your coffee and before you get your donuts. You say, my heart is so heavy. maybe for yourself or maybe for your kids or your grandkids, and you say, I just want to spend some time before I leave this place this morning before God and say, God, I just want to surrender this grief to you. I want to surrender this sorrow to you. I want to surrender this exhaustion from you. Can I just want to receive your peace this morning? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Would you move out from where you are as we spend a few moments? And Would you spend some time in prayer? I would love to pray with you. If you've never asked Christ into your heart and your life, today may be that day where you just come and say, I, I'm surrendering. I need him in my life. I'm lost. I'm lost. His amazing grace is here today. Father, I pray right now as those are here today that just feeling, feeling overwhelmed with it all. Full of sorrow. Full of grief. Sleeping. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts right now. You love them so much, Lord. You said you'd never leave them. You'd never forsake them. God would just work in their hearts. Those who maybe pitched their tent towards Sodom and they need to make a choice 
getting away from some things that are holding them back from your purpose. May they do that today and surrender it at this place of prayer. Is there anybody else who would come forward and just say, yes, I'm going to surrender this morning? I'm going to give you just a moment. I'm not going to wait long. Come forward and just spend some time before God in prayer. Thank you, Lord. our desire this morning. Let's open our eyes, God. I see you high and lifted up over every circumstance, every trial, every test, every kingdom, every situation. God, may we leave this place full of joy, a settled peace, awake to what's around us. We'll give you glory. We'll give you praise. We'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.